0: Okay, our scripture passage this morning is from Psalm 81. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our festival, this is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. When God went out against Egypt, he established it as a statute for Joseph. I heard an unknown voice say, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress, you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their punishment would last forever. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, uh, for the rest of the summer, uh, we are going through a series of psalms that speak about joy. And today's psalm is a psalm that has meant a lot to me personally over the years. Uh, you probably already know by now that um, we moved here back to North Carolina in 2020 after spending 15 years doing ministry and church planting in Boston, but you may not know that when we came here, it was in the midst of a painful time. The church that I had labored in for 10 years was struggling. We had kind of had our butts kicked by church conflict. (coughs) We were emotionally exhausted. And then, of course, moving Across the country, it meant that we had to leave behind everything that we knew. We had to leave behind our family, our friends, our community, the city that we loved. Um, I have a picture I found here. This is our socially distanced goodbye we had to do with some of our good friends. I'm standing on the porch. We've all got masks on. Uh, it It was a challenging moment. And somewhere in the midst of that season, I came across this psalm. And since then, I have come back to it pretty regularly whenever I find myself in a place of despair. Now, I don't know if despair is the right word to describe how we're feeling right now as a church, but we're certainly in an emotional place right now. Robert is retiring after almost 30 years, and there are a lot of feelings that we have We're hopeful about the future, but at the same time, we're right to feel sad. We're right to feel grief. Maybe we're feeling some confusion, maybe some fear. And that's just about the church. Of course, in our regular life, there's all kinds of challenges that we are facing every day. Well, however you're coming this morning, whatever baggage you're bringing into this space, this is a glorious psalm that we get to study. This is a song of celebration, right? It starts out with these big words, sing and shout for joy and blow the trumpet. But then as you read through it, as you hear the words of the psalm, you realize this is not a celebration about how great everything is. This is a celebration of something deeper. It's a celebration that only comes when we see Jesus. In the midst of good times or bad times. This is the kind of celebration that comes from remembering who God is, what his promises are, and that his power is far greater than we tend to think. So this psalm for me, it's kind of like a cold bucket of water that wakes us up from that sleepy unbelief that's always creeping into our lives. So there's a few things I want us to see here in the psalm. I want us to see that there is a lesson in the wilderness, that the lesson is difficult to learn, but that ultimately God gives us the grace to open wide and believe it. There is a lesson in the wilderness. So uh, Psalm 81 is kind of connected to the psalm we studied last week, Psalm 95. They're both written For the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you don't remember, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Temporary Structures, depending on what translation you're using. It was one of the major Jewish feasts. And it took place at the harvest. So it was a time when the people got together and they celebrated that God had provided. During that festival, they would build these little temporary shelters If you've ever seen a picture of them, they're they're just very simple structures and they would decorate them and they would camp out under them and they would party all around them as a way of remembering that during the wilderness, during the 40 years where Israel had wandered through the wilderness, God had always been faithful. He'd always provided for them. And you know, that kind of remembering is a pretty useful practice. We could stand to do a little bit more of that. Ourselves. It's useful to go back and look at the lean times in your life, at the challenging moments that you've lived through, and remember those times when God's been faithful to you. Do you ever do that? I think that's one of the advantages of aging and gaining a little bit of life experience. I remember when I was a 28 year old pastor and I was preparing to go and lead a church for the first time, I was worried about everything, right? I was worried about church attendance. I was worried about the finances. What if people don't like me? What if we fail? And over the years of being a pastor, God has allowed me to walk into some of those fears, to experience some of those things I was most afraid of, and I learned through those processes that, well, he never abandoned me. God was always and has always been bigger than my fears. And even today, when I'm going through tough things, I can go back and I can look at those moments and I can remember those times and remember that God's been faithful. And it helps me get some perspective on my current challenges. Do do you ever do anything like that? Well, the authors of scripture, they model this. They show us this kind of remembering here in this psalm. And it's really helpful to see how they do it. If you've read through the psalms before, and I hope you have. If you haven't, go ahead and do it. Um, But if you read through the psalms, you see this story gets recounted a lot. Not just in this one psalm, but the story of the people wandering through the wilderness. Not just in the psalms. It comes up all throughout the Old Testament. They're always telling this story of how God delivered them from slavery and brought them through the wilderness. You know what? It's not just in Scripture. The church, we still do it. We're always going back to this this moment, to these images. You know, one of the most popular Christian worship groups right now is called Maverick City. And Maverick City has a song with, with the chorus that says, You are the way in the wilderness. You are the river in the desert. Singing that from Isaiah 43. Now, why would people today keep singing about the wilderness? Why would these words still resonate with us? Well, I think it's because, uh, like Tim Keller says in one of his uh, sermons, in a sense, all of life is a wilderness. All of our lives are a wilderness experience. That's why we cling to psalms like this. That's why still when we're singing, those words kind of strike a chord in our heart. Because even if you and I have never stepped foot in the desert before, even if we don't, the only time we've been around hot sand is at the beach, we still know what it's like to be in a wilderness, don't we? To feel empty and dry. To feel afraid and alone to be worried about the future, to feel stressed out, to feel out of control. We know what that's like. And and put yourself in the shoes of Israel back then. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be the nation of Israel, living as slaves for centuries, and to watch this prosperous nation living around you, to watch people around you enjoying wealth? and success, and comfort, and to have this powerful God who you're constantly crying out to, begging for freedom, begging for salvation, hoping and and praying that, that someday the burden would be lifted, someday you could enjoy the pleasures that everybody around you already had, and then one day God did it. That's what verse 6 says. He says, I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. Verse 7, it says, In your distress you called and I rescued you. He rescued them. But where did he take them? Where did they go immediately? The desert. He brought them out of the the fertile lands around the edge of the Nile River to a place that was swelteringly hot in the daytime, that was freezing cold at night, where the ground couldn't produce any crops, and they wandered around for decades. They couldn't build permanent homes. They could never really get comfortable. They could never really rest. Why did he do that why did he bring them there well that's what the feast of tabernacles was all about he was showing them that he would provide he brought them in the wilderness to show them that he was going to provide for them that he would be their god and they would be his people And in a sense, he was also teaching them that the things that they were longing for, the things of this world, cannot really satisfy. Only he can. Man, how many times do we have to learn that lesson? When we came to Center Church, when my family came here, there was a story that I was telling myself. I was saying, God is taking us out of the wilderness and bringing us into the promised land. (laughs) This is going to be a time to recuperate, a time to recover. It's going to be a season of blessing. We're finally going to have a house with a little bit of a yard, some fresh air, some good barbecue, everything you need to survive. And he gave us some of that. There's certainly, there's been some wonderful things about moving here, some new rhythms in our life that we really enjoy. But in other ways, it was just like moving out of the frying pan and into the fire. You know, I still had all the same sin that I was dealing with in my own life when I got here. I thought we'd feel right at home moving back an hour away from where I grew up. But man, after 15 years in New England, I found we had some major culture shock. And then, of course, Whenever you're doing ministry in a church, there's always challenging ministry dynamics that you're dealing with. I, what I'm saying is I found out pretty quickly that North Carolina couldn't save us. And that's the lesson. The world is a wilderness. It cannot sustain us. Now, there's tons of things out there that, that seem like they can, not just a job change or, or a move, but, but, you know, money and success and some new shiny stuff. We think, oh, that's going to fill the void. Or maybe just plopping down on the couch, (laughs) streaming Netflix for a few hours, having a beer or two or three. We think, oh, this is going to soothe my weary soul. But it's a lie, right? It leaves you emptier than you were before. And that's the lesson the world is a wilderness. There is only one who can sustain us. There's only one who can feed us. There's only one who is big enough to meet our real heart-level needs. And it's the Lord himself. That is the lesson of the wilderness. And unfortunately, it's a hard lesson to learn. As the story continues, as our psalm continues, God says, hear me, my people, and I will warn you if you would only listen to me, Israel. You shall have no foreign gods among you. You shall not worship any other god than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. So the psalmist is kind of continuing here. He's still telling us the story of the wilderness, that God, he heard the cries of the enslaved people, and he gave them the freedom that they longed for. But you know the story. Pretty quickly, they disobeyed. Pretty quickly, they wandered. They they worshipped other gods. They, They turned their hearts from him. And if you are familiar with some of these words, you might expect This to be a moment where God comes and and cracks down on these disobedient people. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Does anybody recognize those lines? Anybody recognize those words from another part in scripture? Anybody recognize it? I heard somebody whisper Exodus. That's right. It's in Exodus. It's actually the beginning of the Ten Commandments. What usually comes right after that? It's the law. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You should have no other gods. You shouldn't make idols. You should uh, not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. But that's not what happens here. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and i will fill it open wide your mouth and i will fill it that's some really good stuff right there this is the message that god is giving to his people in the wilderness this is what he said to them but it's also what he is saying to you today open wide your mouth and i will fill it. That is what he is saying to you this morning in your discontent, in your dryness. That is what he's saying to you this morning while you're running yourself ragged, trying to do everything on your own. This is what he's saying to you this morning in your worry and in your fear and in your anxiety. He's saying, let me feed you. I will fill you up. Do you remember how Jesus said it in the Gospel of John? He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what your Father, your Heavenly Father, wants for you. He wants to see your soul satisfied. So why isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe it's because we won't open our mouths. That's the command in the verse, right? Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. But that's not really how we live most of the time, is it? We don't live like people who are expecting great things from great God. We don't live like people who believe that their father owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you as orphans. He promised that. It's a fact. But isn't that exactly how we live? Like orphans? We... Profess this robust Presbyterian theology, right? Westminster, it says that God created everything and he upholds everything and he governs every creature and action and he is infinitely good and infinitely powerful. We pray to our Father in heaven. We say, like last week, that his face is shining on us with delight. But when push comes to shove don't we live like it's all up to us? And I wish I could stand up here and tell you these lessons that I've learned that are all in the past and I can lead the way, but the truth is this is something I've got to learn every day myself. Somebody calls me out for being a jerk and I defend myself because it's up to me. There's a crisis at work. And so I lay awake at night and I worry, how am I going to fix this? Because it's all up to me. My kids get into trouble and so I look for a way to control them, some new rules to make, some new devotional to get going, something else that I can do to to make things right because it's all up to me. I think I may have shared with this story with you already, but I'm here long enough that it's starting to get blurry. <laughs> but I was talking to a mentor of mine, and I was, I was expressing to him just some of the, my hopes and dreams for this church and, and, and its renewal. And I was sharing with him all the challenges and the variables and the things that I saw in the future that could go wrong, things I was worried about. And I remember distinctly that he looked to me through the zoom lens on the camera. <laughs> And he said, I wish you could hear yourself. You sound like such an orphan. You think you need to have control over all these things. But what you really need to do is be still. What you need to do is pray. What you need to do is wait like this psalm talks about, to put yourself in a posture of receiving. God says, open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. It seems so simple, right? But in our sin, it's the hardest lesson to learn. Our doubt, our fears, our unbelief, all that stuff is is so deeply ingrained inside of us. Even the psalm, it says, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. These people who had seen God miraculously deliver them miraculously provide for them every day they still couldn't get the lesson it reminds me of my friend who adopted a few children that were elementary age so a little older than your typical adoption and they found out pretty quickly that these children had been diagnosed with attachment disorder have you heard of that before Basically, what it meant was no matter how much their parents loved them and cared for them, they could not believe it. And the wife was sharing that one day as she was cleaning their bedrooms, they had this big chest at the foot of the bed, and she opened it up, and inside it was filled with food, prepackaged food that they had been hiding away because they thought at any moment their parents might turn them out in the streets. And it broke her heart. They couldn't believe that their parents, who loved them so much, would continue to love them. And you know, we have an enemy who wants us to live like that. You have an enemy that wants you to believe that. His voice is always in our ear, and he's saying It's all up to you. You better fix this. You better get control, or everything's going to fall apart. You are on your own. But God, what is His voice saying? Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. Put yourself in that place of receiving. Look to him, because he's the only one who can provide for those needs that you have. It's a hard lesson to learn, but this world is a wilderness. It cannot sustain you. But folks, we have a God who can. It will just listen. It will just stop. It will just surrender. Finally, the thing we learn in this passage is that God gives us the grace we need to finally do it open wide and believe his promises. Verse 13, it continues, If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their punishment would last forever, but you would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So this last verse is alluding to a moment that we actually talked about last week. It's a moment in the wilderness where God brought water from the rock. But honey from a rock? What's that? Well, that's a picture of something better. Something greater. It's actually a quote from Moses. These words were first used by him at the end of his life. He wrote this beautiful song that you can read in Deuteronomy 32 where he's singing about all the great things that God had done for them throughout his life. And those words, honey, from the rock, that is the image that he chose to describe God's mercy to his people. He said that, that God's mercy to the people had been like honey from the rock. Now, that's really notable, especially if you understand the life of Moses. Sometimes we forget that Moses did not make it into the promised land. Moses spent the last decades of his life wandering around in that sand, and he died in the desert. But scripture tells us that in the midst of that experience, Moses knew God like nobody else. And that, that is the honey from the rock. See, honey from the rock, it doesn't mean that if you just listen, God's going to give you everything you ever wanted. Right? We know that's not how it works. This life is hard. There's going to be pain in this life. There's going to be shocks and surprises in this life. There's going to be suffering and hardship and sorrow. Things will happen that we don't expect. Pastors we love will leave. Churches we've attended will change. But what this is saying is that in the midst of all that, In the midst of this wilderness, if you will open your mouth, if you would draw near to God, even in the midst of those tough moments, even in the midst of those really challenging obstacles, those very painful times, in the midst of your difficulty, your hardest moments can be transformed into a place of sweetness. Can become a fountain of joy when we suffer and we draw near to Jesus we actually become more like Jesus when we struggle and we run to God instead of away from God we actually end up meeting God in a way we never could have in the good times Those moments, those are the places where we grow in wisdom, where we grow in faith, where we grow in patience, where we grow in love. See, the wilderness, it seems terrifying. It seems desolate. It seems awful. But it is actually the place where God provides. It's the place where he brings honey from the rock. And, of course, the ultimate example of that is the gospel itself. That from the death of Christ, the most hopeless moment that this universe has ever seen, the ultimate wilderness moment, God brought life for the whole world. What seemed like the final defeat was the ultimate victory. See, on the cross, Jesus, he took the punishment for all of our unbelief all of that attachment disorder stuff that we have Jesus took the punishment for that on the cross on the cross the one and only son of god was treated like an orphan he was cast out he was left on his own so that we could know by faith in him we never will be and Christ is god's promise in the flesh even Paul says it Paul says that the rock is Christ and by his blood you and I exiles and strangers and aliens and outsiders we become sons and daughters because of his sorrow we have unlimited access to him to stand before his joyful face again not because we have been faithful in the wilderness, but because he was. So, do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to give you honey from the rock? You know, we've been through some hard stuff here in the last few years. Not just in the church, but in the, the nation, and the world. We've been through a pandemic. We've all been through things in our own personal lives. We have all been in the wilderness. So my question is, what are you expecting from this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this wilderness if it's not to meet us here? And if he's here, then my invitation is open wide your mouth. That means pray. That means wait. That means meditate on his word. That means seek his faiths with expectation. It means for us to spiritually to become like those baby birds who are, you know, stretching out their, their necks with their mouths open wide because they know that the food is coming. We have a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask. Or imagine. So open your mouth. Let him fill it with joy. With peace. With love. With provisions for your soul. With honey from the rock. He will satisfy you. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for these promises and these pictures that you give us. Those of us who've walked with you, we know We've tasted and seen that you are good, but we ask that you would revive us again, that you'd visit us here in this moment, that you'd satisfy us in the wilderness of our lives. And we pray, God, for those who don't know you, but who are standing in this desert seeking, feeling that emptiness and not knowing where to go. We pray, God, that you would reveal yourself and that they would draw near to you. Jesus' name.